Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to another episode of From the Ashes. I'm here with Terry Brown. Uh, she works with an organization called Face It Together, which is a addiction recovery organization. She's a peer recovery coach. She's been there. She's been through it. She worked with LGBTQ. It's an incredible guest to have on the show. And you know, addiction stuff is near and dear to my heart. So Terry, welcome. Thank you, Mark, for having me on board. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I really love what you do. I was checking out your website and you looks like you're based in South Dakota and Colorado, but yes. you work nationwide and you said you have some international clients as well. Yes. Uh, Zoom, uh, we all should invest in the stock, right? After COVID, it just kind of took off and we discovered that we can work remotely and yeah. You know, why not? It's great. I mean, it gives access to services to so many different people that may not have been able to get it, especially people in, you know, inner city environments or rural environments, right, that don't have good services near them. They can now they can log on and talk to experts. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So in this show, we're going to start with your story, right? Okay. And from the ashes, we kind of talk about those stories of recovery, the Phoenix Rising stories. And from what I read about you, it sounds like you, you got one. So mm -hmm. you dive right in and tell us, you know, who, who yeah. are you? How, what's your yeah. From the Ashes story? Yeah. Um, so I uh, grew up in Oakland, California. Anyone that's familiar with that, it's a very, uh, very rough town. Um, I was surrounded by uh, murder, gangs, drive-bys, uh, rape, incest, molestation, you know, all of that. And um, in, in my house wasn't much better. There was a lot of abuse, unfortunately. Um, I was adopted as a baby, and um, I'm pretty sure that affected me a lot of ways as well because I was with my birth mother for a good two weeks or so, and I was told that that's an initial bonding uh, point with, with the mother and child. So when she decided to, to relinquish me, I was adopted at six months old. Um, the uh, my mother, my adopted mother, was physically available, but emotionally, nurturing wise, I, I didn't get that um, for whatever reason. You know, when you're adopted, you have the mindset of, oh, I'm going to be loved and cared for, and you know, I'm going to be treated such and such a way. And and unfortunately, I didn't have that in my situation. My mother would use go out in the backyard and you, you, you know, you pull down a branch and she'd make us bring that in. And, um, at the time <clears throat> I was going to Catholic school and, um, you know, our legs were exposed. So she would, she would, you know, beat us with these things on, on our legs. And yeah, <clears throat> you know, the thing Mark is that I was like, you know, what did I do that was so bad to, to, I mean, I'm, a, I'm a kid, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty rough. Pretty brutal. Pretty yeah. brutal, yeah. And with the sexual molestations, that came from two older cousins. Um, and, you know, no one talked about anything. You, you just shoved it down. You shoved it down. And um, 
when I was about 11, I started smoking pot because A, I didn't have to feel the feeling as I was feeling, or B, I, I could feel something else. Right. Yeah, pot's a good way to shove it down. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so that, that affected my life. I started rewiring my brain to learn survival skills. That's what you do. Um, and you shove, shove, shove. I liken it to hitting a uh, garbage compactor. When you hit that button, it just smashes a little bit more and a little bit more. And it just, you know, it's, it's all in there. So the, uh, the teens came with more experiment with drugs. Um, you know, here's one thing that I'm going to talk about that maybe people don't understand. But when I do talk with two other people who've been in uh, molestation at a young age, that when I mention it, they go, yeah. So when I was 12, I'm having sex with a 30-year-old man, okay? So why is this 30-year-old man having sex with this 12-year-old child, all right? The molestation had made me promiscuous. It made me feel as though you like me. If we do this, maybe you'll love me because these are the things that I just was not getting at all. And um, all the drama and chaos that comes with that. Um, so this is like in the early seventies, way before crack cocaine came on the scene, there was freebasing cocaine and I was about 14 and experiment with that, um, more drugs, not so much alcohol in the beginning. It was mostly, mostly drugs. And, um, I, school took a back seat because I was getting high every day and I just didn't fit. I didn't fit anywhere. I never, I, I didn't learning I didn't fit even though as a young child and um, so I'll, I'll go over here for a minute um, I ended up meeting my birth mother <clears throat> years ago and um, she was this 19 year old Mormon gal um, that came from good parents and back in 1961 good little girls didn't have sex and they they sent her off oh, yeah. that's what we do we'll just send her away and this is some stuff that got brought up was that she mentioned that she was raped uh, by two light-skinned men who sounded as though they had at least a college education. And I'm like, okay, I was raped. I don't remember stuff like that. Okay. So by her saying that, it is what it is. My, my father was a white man, looked white to me. But by her saying that, they placed me in, in, a, in, a, in a black family. That was weird. That was awkward growing up because I just didn't fit. Yeah, I just is, never very fit. Strange. Yeah, and yeah. for a kid, it's just, yeah, you're going to mm -hmm. see those skin differences and be like, oh, I'm not part of this. I'm not the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's part of the, you know, I'm very familiar with the whole um, African-American culture. I, it's, that's what I was brought up in. And I relate in a lot of ways. But once again, as I said, I, I just never fit. And then, you know, maybe if she wouldn't have given me up, maybe I wouldn't have been beaten. Maybe I wouldn't have been molested. You know, all of those things go through your head. But I never had a connection with any of my family. I just, once again, I just did not fit. Um, I was very much of a lone. Uh, I did things by myself alone because I just didn't want to be around the people that I was surrounded because they were doing bad things to me, you know? So, um, once again, no one talked about anything. There was no talking about 
treatment or going over here. It's like, you know, suck it up, pull yourself up. That happened so long ago. You know, just get over it. Yeah. As, as we're pushing this trash compactor button even more and, and, and pushing things more down further and further. Um, so when I was <clears throat> about 22, um, I want to explore uh, my sexuality more because, as I said, I, I knew that I liked girls at a very young age. I was asked what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I said a boy because I thought you had to be a boy <laughs> to like <laughs> girl. I didn't get it. I, I'm five, right? So, um, and so it started off <clears throat> as a very beautiful day. I went over to San Francisco. I used to always like going over to Berkeley or San Francisco, and I was trying to find myself more. And, and, and I did. I, I had a great day. I met some cool people. I had a few glasses of wine. Um, and, and I was heading back home. At that time, I was staying with my mother temporarily. And, and I had $40 on me. And I forgot that BART, which is a subway system, quit running at 12. So I decided to catch the bus. Now, I had a few drinks. I was tired from dancing. The bus rides are good, 45 minutes or so. Um, I found myself nodding, <clears throat> excuse me, on the bus. And when it came to my stop, I rang the bell and, uh, and, and I got off at the front door. And through my peripheral vision, I could see someone getting off in the rear door. And he walked very fast ahead of me. And I lived maybe four or five blocks to my, my mother's home. Not, not a far walk at, at, at all. And I'm, and I'm carrying, as I took my boots off, remember my feet were hurting. And um, there was this, this, this field of overgrown bushes and, and trees and stuff that the city just had not been really taking care of it. So as I walked by there, this guy, he jumps out right in front of me. And I knew right then I was going to be raped. Oh, my God. Right? Yeah. He had been watching me. Yeah. So he's pulling me back deeper and deeper in here. And now it's like 2.30 in the morning or so. There's really no one in the streets. And I'm yelling. I'm screaming. I'm trying to fight him. And um, he hits me. And, and he knocks me down. And then, then he picks me up by my ankles. And he's banging my head on the ground. Right. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Move. yeah. <laughs> and I could just feel the blood kind of yeah. rolling down my face. And of course I submitted because it's an act of violence. Yeah. So after he was done doing what he did, um, he picks up my pants and he goes through the pockets and he pulls out this $40 and he looks at me and just laughs and throw the pants on me. And my first thought was, why in the hell didn't I get a damn cab? Mm -hmm. Like it was my fault, right? Mm -hmm. That was the first thing that went through my mind. I've heard that but a lot with victims of rape, right? That mm -hmm. and the culture does that, which is also really mm -hmm. messed up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've heard that a lot. Yeah. So, you know, I came out of there and, and I seen this guy and, and I asked him to go to the payphone and call the cops. He did. The cops came, kind of drove around for a little bit. Couldn't really describe this guy anyway. It was dark out. Um, but they took me to the hospital. They did a, a, a rape test on you. Um, they, they take like five pieces of hair from your head, five from your pubic area, and they kept the, plant, uh, the pants for, for evidence of semen. 
So um, <clears throat> the policeman's bringing me home, and um, I had a hospital gown on. My hair was really thick back then and long, and, and it was just a mess. Um, you know, matted blood and everything in it. It, it was it was not a very good sight. And I and I come through the front door of, of, of my childhood home, and my mother. Um, she was sitting on the bed where she always sits watching her television. So when I came to the door, she's like, you know, right in front of me. And and I say to her, I says, Mom, I, I just got raped. And if, if ever in my life I needed my mother, it, it was at that moment. Yeah. And um, she didn't say anything. She didn't do anything. She didn't come over and hug me. Honey, I'm sorry this happened to you. It, it, any of that. And I just put my head down and I walked up to my childhood bedroom and I just cried. And I was so sore because my neck and the back of him, you know, the bang in me and all that. And um, that was the start of me. F you, screw you, life is about me now, okay? Yeah. Because of the first 21 years of my life, my environment had just shit it all on me. And, and I got upset and mad. I mean, why wouldn't you, right? And I also turned to crack cocaine. The 80s, when they first came in, I was right there. and It was doing powder. Now there's, you know, and it was like, that's it. And so I, I call it Crack Alley. I went down Crack Alley for a while. And um, I made some decisions that were not very good. I lied and I cheated and I stole from my mother. Um, this one dilapidated place I used to go to, maybe in its prime it had 40 apartments. I don't know. But it was like a trap house. I mean, lots of people had moved out, and people were still living in this. And, the, and some of the apartments were just garbage and paraphernalia, just dirty, just just dirty. And um, one particular day, I, I went, and I ran out of money, like you always do. And, and I asked this guy, could he, uh, you know, could he give me a little bit because I was a good customer? And he looks at me, and I'm going to keep it clean. He says... If you let me F you, I will. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. And, and as I'm laying on this filthy floor with all of this going on around me, I could just feel the tears you know, coming down my yeah. eyes because I broke it. I crossed that line. I told myself I would never, ever, ever do. And I did. And that wasn't the first time. So, you know, it... I never dealt with anything. I just drank and drugged and like, you know, I put on this mask and, and, I, and I got in dysfunctional relationships and the drama and, and the chaos. Um, yeah, I just, I wasn't going anywhere and, and I wasn't very happy at all. I just kept using, you know, that's what I did. Um, we, you know, we can fast forward a little bit more and, and um, when I went to South Dakota, um, is where I moved to. Coming from the Bay Area, believe it or not, I moved to minus 26. It's a big change. 
who does that, right? Yeah. But that's kind of a, a, a point where the rest of my story kind of takes a, a, a different turn as far as things changing. Not for the better, just a different place. So geographically, it doesn't change anything. I, I brought me and all of my baggage with me. Yeah, it's that adage, uh, right? Like, no matter where you go, there you are. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I think we'll save that for the second segment. I just want to say it's that's a heart-wrenching story. And I'm so happy that you're here today, that you made it through that, that you're like out there being a support and a coach for other people that are in a similar position. Um, yeah. that just, it's just unfair shake. I mean, just so much after one after another of yeah. just traumas and abuse. And, and it makes sense, right? When you lay it all out there, it makes sense where the drug use comes from. It makes sense where like, I'd imagine the anger, the hatred came from. Mm-hmm. where like the the rebelliousness came from yeah most it's, definitely yeah had to yeah. you said like in, in that moment i mean that's a i was tearing up as you were talking about that moment after the rape it's like of, of course you vowed to be like yeah. you know fuck everything it's all yeah. about me now right and, and you know fundamentally mark i was always a good person but because of uh, the unresolved pain and anger and, and the abuse and the abandonment i acted out irrationally that's what happened yeah of course. Yeah. Cause you're, like you said, your brain was, was scared. It was a fight and flight the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're gonna move into our first commercial break. When we come back, we'll hear more about the South Dakota chapter and then we'll hear about the recovery um, and how you became, you know, the woman you are today. Yeah. So if you're listening, um, hang on in there. This is a powerful story and we'll catch you on the other side of the commercial break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot teachable.com. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. 
Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to our show. I'm sitting here with Terry Brown. Just hearing your story of of recovery and I guess of, of trauma, truly. I mean, from being adopted, from molestation to rape, to crack cocaine use, to the sense of really not belonging, right? Not fitting in kind of your whole life. And where you left us before the break was moving to South Dakota, coming from you know the Bay Area into South Dakota. I imagine that not belonging continued then because that's a very, very different environment. Yeah, I, uh, I, I was... Uh grasping at straws. Um, I was becoming homeless again. I, I didn't have, a, as my mother would say, she was from the South. She had a lot of sayings. And I don't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out. That was one of her things. And, and that's where I was at. And I met someone at a local bar um, who convinced me to, to relocate to South Dakota. And I'm like, where in the hell is that? I mean, really, it's like I remember in school, you know, Mount Rushmore, that's about it. And my friends were like, where are you moving? I'm like, you know, South Dakota. How, like, how, okay. did, how did they convince you? I'm just so curious. Like, like you, what, were the, what was the pitch? <laughs> well, okay. So this wasn't like a romantic thing or not. It was this gal that I met, and she was um, part Native. And she would get, you know, checks each month from the, from the, the reservation. And uh, she would come to San Francisco once a month. It was kind of, or once a year, it was kind of her thing, her gift to herself. And she liked me, talking with me, visiting me. There was nothing sexual about this whatsoever. But I, I told her what was going on in my life. And she very willingly said, you know, Terry, I have a big home. I have a large basement every model. You'd be welcome to, to come. I can help you get a job. You know, it. it I just want to help you. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm running out of options. And um, she, it was right before Christmas of 93. It was December the 12th of 1993 is when I moved. So I stole with the little stuff I had, said goodbye to friends, and got on the plane. And, and she, uh, she met me in Omaha, Nebraska, late at night. <clears throat> and... Um, okay, I'm about to start my new life. Um, I get a job working at a meatpacking place, which I'm like, all right, I, I, I need a job, right? And um, within one week, Mark, of being in South Dakota, this woman had flipped and was drinking 
we were all drinking one night and she uh, she didn't like the way that I was kind of getting along with her husband. We were joking and such and um, she attacked me. Oh just, my God. Yeah, just right out of the kind of yeah. blue and um, having the cops being called and she's telling them that I owed her money for the flight here and all that, which wasn't true. She was keeping my stuff. So I ended up going to a homeless shelter, um, this place called Children's Inn. It was for women and their children who had to leave, some not too good um, lives their own self. And um, they let me stay there. And um, I still actually have today this, this mama teddy bear holding its little baby that, that, they, that they gave to me because it made such an impact on me that these people were willing to help me. I had nowhere to go. Um, so, um, got a job, making money. Um, so I got there in December of 93. From April of 94 through February of 98, in those four years, I managed to get seven DUIs, went to prison twice, prided myself on them not catching me with any drugs. Like, no, I got over, whatever. Um, but, you know, why, why didn't I figure it out after the third one? The, the first time I went to prison? My last one was a five-year sentence that I got. For DUI felony hit and run and I left the scene because I knew it was going to happen I, I've been down this rodeo and I, I you know it's just irrational thinking um, I think the fifth one a friend of mine we were drinking one night and we came up with this bright idea um, because the judge had maybe go down and take the license plate off of my vehicle and bring it up back to the court like that's gonna stop me from driving right Okay. <laughs> Car still works. It works. Right? And now you're undetectable. Exactly. Exactly. So we, she comes up with this great thing. You, you know, when you buy a, a used vehicle, you have a temporary piece of paper, you know, date to date. And she comes up with this bright idea of some dates in transit or something, whatever. And, and I got around for months like that. But this particular night, I was out drinking and driving, what I did. And um, I could see the, the cop. He was looking. I, I, I was looking through my rearview mirror, and I could see him looking at that and probably thinking, what the hell is that, you know? So um, he gets behind me, and I'm at a light, and I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do? So the light turns green, and I go. I just take off, okay? And of course, he's got the lights on, and he's behind me, and I'm turning this way, that, whatever. And uh, they finally got a cop car to pull in front of me to, you know, I barely had time to uh, put it up in park, and the cop behind me pulls me out of the car. He's got my face on the ground, and he's cuffing me up. And, and he gets me up, and he says to me, he says, why didn't you just stop? And I said, well, I knew it was going to happen. I wanted to get home before you told it. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he looks at me and he says, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. Irrational thinking at its yeah. best. That's, yeah. that's what happened. Mm -hmm. I knew it was going to happen. The SR-22, the fines, the impound lot. All I seen was dollar figures adding up because mm -hmm. I've been to this rodeo several times, right? 
Yeah, you want to make it a little more convenient, save some money. Yeah, exactly. You accepted yeah. it as, as the future, as your fate. Yeah. Right, exactly. And, and, and one of my problems was that I always told myself, damn it, not again. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I've done it before. I can do it again. Mm-hmm. That was my mindset. That mm-hmm. just wasn't, wasn't working out too well. So um, I'm in prison for a five-year sentence. And I've tried everything I can do. I'm 37 years old. I tell myself, Terry, you, you can't keep living like this. this. This isn't working. And so on prison grounds, they have um, sweat lodges. Are you familiar with them? I am, yeah. We have them in Colorado, too. I, I was surprised to read in your bio that they do that in prison. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 they're they're, they're yeah, and, and so can, I asked. Can you walk? Can you walk through for our listeners just in case they might not be? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a man-made like dome thing that that a lot you know fifteen twenty people can get in because you go in you're kneeling you're not like standing up in it, and then there's 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 people who are in charge of certain aspects of the switch. There's the one that gets the rocks going. There's another one with with. Um, or the, the peace pipe using. And, and so everyone has a job to, to, to do in that. And I, I asked one of the Native American girls, could, could I go in? I want to try something different. And she says, you know, yeah, Terry, but, you know, make sure you drink a lot of water. It gets really hot in there. I'm like, okay. Um, so the day comes, and I go in there, and it is so hot. I mean, it's just like crazy hot. And I'm telling myself, I can't do this. I can't do this. This other part of me is going, yeah, you're going to stay. You're going to let yourself experience this. And I want to point out that I, I've never been a religious person, but I've always been a spiritual person. Um, that, that's always been with me. Mostly for the, uh, the beauty of the earth I love. Um, one time when I was a kid, I used to walk up to this Nolan Park that had a creek that ran through it. And I, being a little tomboy I was, I would go walking around and finding frogs or what have you. And I found a lot of peace in that. That was my getaway from my environment. And unfortunately, one day I turned around and this guy was following me. And, and I hurried up and got out of there. And, and that was so... Like, why? My only getaway, why did this have, I was smart enough to get out of there because I knew something was going to happen to me, Mm -hmm. right? So, but anyway, um, I'm in here and it's hot. And I'm like, I'm starting to pray to something, God, karma, universe, whatever, to help me withstand the heat. Maybe within 15 minutes or so, I don't know. The, the heat starts to dissipate, and I'm like, all right, well, that, that's working. Um, then I started praying to have the, um, the desire of drugs and alcohol to, to leave me. Mm-hmm. I meant it this time, you know, and once again, a 10 or 15 window, whatever, I felt this weird, beautiful, intimate, scary, I, I don't know what, just go all through my body and I just start crying. I was just completely overwhelmed with that spiritual awakening that I had 
I call it my burning bush moment, you know, what have you. And Mark, I knew without a doubt when I left out of prison, I would never drink or drug again in my life. And I haven't touched anything. I got connected. Finally, that, that hole that I have been shoving anything and everything in me finally got full. And that trash compactor button that I kept hitting all those years of garbage and everything that just got dumped in there, I started pulling it out and pulling it out. And when I was a little kid, this is what I liken it to. When I was a little kid, before all that abuse started, it was a little tiny flower growing in my stomach, right? When I started pulling all that stuff out, the little flowers started blooming again. Yeah. And I knew I was going to be okay. I knew it. Um, yeah, yeah. But I had to, in, in the beginning, the desire was gone. It was lifted all the way. I, I can honestly say that was an issue. But I had to change the way I was thinking. I had to rewire my brain now back from survival skills to life skills. And that's what I was doing to put in the work. I had to learn to humble myself and put the instant gratification on the back burner. I had me a little studio apartment I found out in Rapid City. I went out there instead of going back to Sioux Falls because I wanted to change my playmates and playground. And mm -hmm. uh, those who are listening, Rapid City is like close to where Mount Rushmore is at. It's on the west side of the state. And so I, I, uh, I, I bought me a little cheap bike from Walmart. And I learned the bus system. I was out on parole now. And, um, and, and I humbled myself, and I got around. I wasn't going to get my license back for two years. Um, but towards the end of that, friends of mine took me out, and, and I bought a blazer. And I parked it outside in my little studio apartment with the Murphy bed. It was tiny, but it was better than prison. And every day I'd leave, I'd look at it, and I'd go, not today. And I get on the bus, get on my bike. Now, see, here's here's where I knew it was working. The old me would have been like, "Screw that! I got a car here, right?" Yeah. But that was the problem. It, I wasn't legal yet, and so I waited. And and to me, that that helped me see that I can hold myself, and I could, you know, not have instant gratification. And it was paying off for me. So why not continue it? Right. You, you got to practice that every day. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, things are going good. I got money in the bank. You know, I'm paying fines, I'm paying everyone, and um, and my life is starting to move in a direction finally that that's good, and um, I end up moving back to um, South Dakota. Now, through the years of off and on, um, I have been wanting to find my birth mother. The first time when I was 16, I wrote a letter um, to the county, and that's when they they told me that. Um, I would have to submit a letter, and she would, in order for a connection. I sent one letter, didn't hear anything. I let it go for years and years and years. Uh, but I wanted to find my birth mother because I wanted some questions mm -hmm. answered. Um, and uh, it was until 2005, um, I, I wrote to the county again, and um, they didn't really help me much that time. Uh, I was trying to do some investigating what I could do to find. Um, my name was um, Laura Lynn 
Vergati, Italian name, and that's the name they had on file. So I was trying to look for her with that last name, and I kept running into to walls. It wasn't getting anywhere. And um, this gentleman who was helping his wife find her birth mother, um, I guess he started helping people. A lot of people do that. And the, the next time I, I called the county, they actually gave me this man's phone number and a contact. And um, I called him and uh, he he found her. Um, so that itself is is you know, another story in itself that um, that happened, and I wanted to meet her. And she was living in Hurricane, Utah at the time. She was a Mormon. They were there. Her and her family were living in Oakland at the time that that I was um, adopted. Years obviously had passed, and um, we we were on the phone a few times. The first time I called her. Um, I asked her, did February 18th, 1961, ring a bell with her? And she thought it was maybe someone from her high school. But I says, no. And then, and then she says to me, I know who you are. Wow. It was very, very emotional. Yeah. Um, and like I said, if I was actively using, because not everyone, but when you're adopted, you have feelings as though you weren't wanted. I mean, that's, that's a very common thing to feel. Some people want to yeah. know. Some people don't give a shit. They don't care. I wanted to know. So you want to know why, why she gave you up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so by, by doing that, now you're risking another possible um, not wanting to meet you. So, so you, now you're getting it twice. When you're born, and we, it's like, and that hurts, and that's hard. And, and, and she did. Um, she was not a very well person. Um, she actually got hooked on pharmaceuticals, um, fentanyl, and all this when she was living in Utah. Um, she did pass in 2014. Um, basically, a junkie from mm. fentanyl and opium. You know, so um, she had a lot of secrets. I was one of them, and I found a sister that I knew I had because she didn't even tell me that. And so uh, she adopted, she, uh, she let both of us go, but she ended up adopting four more children in Guatemala because she told everyone she couldn't have kids. We were this big secret. Well, that was pretty, yeah. pretty, uh, pretty, pretty secretive. Um, yeah. It's pretty, pretty eye-opening. I mean, it's like yeah. to get some closure, mm-hmm. not the answer that you want. But mm-hmm. I think just the courage to try to close that loop and figure out what it's all about. Um, we got to yeah. move to our commercial break now. But when we come back, we'll dig into this a little bit more. Because okay. I think there's still like an epilogue to this story. Um, so if you're listening, hang on in there. We'll see you on the other side of the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. 
His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit Mark dash azulay dot teachable dot com that's mark m a r c dash azulay a z o u l a y dot teachable dot com voice america programs are now available on your favorite connected device including amazon alexa and google home through streams with apple podcasts tune in and iHeartRadio. listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast hey alexa play finding your frequency podcast if that doesn't work try adding on tune in or on iHeartRadio or on apple podcasts are you ready to move to your next level? Listen for Empowering Women, Transforming Lives with host Rebecca Hall Greider. Each show will focus on a central topic with discussion, guests, and your questions being featured. Our show is perfect for women who feel a call in their heart to step out in a bigger, more powerful way in their life and just need some encouragement, inspiration, and practical steps to support them on their journey. Empowering Women, Transforming Lives can be heard live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel with a replay of the show Sunday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to the story. Um, we are continuing talking to Terry and you left us before the break of meeting your birth mother mm-hmm. and realizing that she has her own pain, her own sickness, her own trauma. Um, yeah. And like you said, risking a second rejection, right. you know, but having like the courage and the bravery to, to pursue it right mm-hmm. through, you know, this, this coach or this guy that you worked with right outside the County, like really going after it. Yeah. Right. Really wanting to get some answers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I did. And that's, and that's what I wanted from her. You know, you have the, you know, I just want to know why, you know, any, any health issues, what have you, anything like that. And um, I, you know, I told her I was gay and she didn't really like that. It was like, why can't you just keep it to yourself? Why do you have to talk about it? Um, and, and it turns out one of her daughters, she adopted, she's gay as well. Um, so I says, how does it feel having a birth child that's gay and one you adopted that's gay? You know, um, I'm not trying to hide from anyone. 
she was she wasn't a very attentive person and from what I gathered she wasn't that way with her children she adopted I don't think she ever got right with herself and um, I think that her secrets probably kept her a bit sick she ended up getting hooked on on opiates um, believe it or not Utah has became one of the leading states for opiate Jews. And, and here's these perfect Mormons with the perfect family. You know, these doctors was like writing out scripts, you know, go take the magic pill. And, and she was sick. She had her own secrets, and that was her cover-up. Um, so, yeah, I didn't, it didn't end the way I would have liked it to. Uh, we did have a dinner with myself, my sister Nina. It was the first time she met our birth mother and her other two daughters. And and, 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 and I could just feel her staring at me from across the room, just looking at me, and it made me so vulnerable because I was her firstborn child, you know, that she gave away or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I, I'm just glad I was in recovery when, when that happened. Um, went to her funeral. She ended up overdosing on her opiates. Mm-hmm. And... She uh, went through like almost $200,000 on buying from Home Shopping Network, QVC. That was another one of her addictions. Her mother had left her a a big sum of money and she spent it as fast as she could get it. It was her house was just filled with all these brand new things that she was buying to fill her empty hole, I think, you know, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm glad I got to do that. I, it, the, the beautiful thing came out of it is I met a sister I didn't know I had. She's doing great. We're in great contact with each other. Uh, my sister that I grew up with, there really isn't a relationship there. Tony has been stuck since she was 15 when she first got into her own trauma. And I've grown so much since then. And it, there's just, I have to set boundaries with her. Because it's, you know, it's, she's all over the place. Um, right, yeah. You don't want to get dragged back down into it. No, yeah. no. You know, but, hey, I love her. And I told a mutual friend, if anything happens to her, please let me know. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> yeah. So I'm curious of, of how you stay strong. Because you're unbelievably strong and resilient to go through this. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, do you continue with the Native American traditions or the sweat lodge? Or does that spirituality, like, continue to be it's, a part of your life? It is. It is, believe it or not. And when I tell people that, they're like, oh, nothing that happened to me like that. I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. It, it worked for me. And um, I value myself. I found myself. I invested in myself. And I will never lose me again, no matter what it takes. Um, I'm kind. I'm considered. Um, I don't believe in sugarcoating anything. I, I say what it is. You know, let, let's, let's do it. Um, and, and, and it works. And that's one of the reasons why I do what I do today is, um, is peer coaching. Um, I found out about it back in 2009 and I was like, wow, this sounds really cool. I want to be a part of this. And I applied for a volunteer coordinator position. I didn't get the job, but I was like, I don't care. I just, I just want to be a part of this. So. I volunteered from like 2009 to 2014, and I've been on payroll since then. So I've been with the organization for for quite a few years. And um, 
So, you know, throughout this, everything I've been through, Mark, the molestation, the rape, the child abuse, all of that stuff, um, strong as a horse, my genetics. Mm -hmm. Nobody believes me when I tell them I'm 61. I, I don't even dye my hair, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and I had good genetics, right? So I'll do that. Um, but um, December 19th, 2019, um, I'm like coughing up blood. I'm like, what the hell is this shit, you know? And I did a little bit more. And a couple of days later, I coughed up this, like a chunk of blood clot or something. And I, and I take it to my doctor. And <clears throat> she says, Terry, I believe you have cancer. Oh, God. I believe you have stage three cancer. And I'm like, what? What are you, what are you talking about? You don't have cancer. You know, you've been healthy as a horse. And um, sure enough, I had stage three non-small cell cancer. And um, I went through the whole anger, piss, this isn't right, this isn't fair. All of those feelings and emotions. Um, and then... You know, my wife, her, her oldest daughter was battling her own cancer. She ended up passing it 37 to, for her breast cancer. So I went through the, you know, the chemo and the radiation, and um, it really changed my life. It made me more <clears throat> in tune with different perspectives in life as far as what's important, what's not, who to give up, who, who to keep. And I figured I have two options. I can either die from cancer or I can learn to live with it. Pick one. <laughs> there's, there's no do-over. Yeah, yeah. There's no take-backs, right? And, and that's what I did. And my, my doctor tells me my attitude has a lot to do with where I'm at. Um, I had my last scan here in June. I'm, I'm 21 months in remission. Congratulations. You know? That's big. That is big. That is yeah, big. Yeah. And it is easy to sit and go, you know, I've been through shit and hell and back. Now you give me this. But the fact of the matter is, what makes me so special? Millions of people get it. What you going to do with it? You know, so for some people, clients I work with, I don't share with everybody because, you know, it is what it is. But I don't use it as a poor me by any means. Okay. But it's like, maybe you should look at something from a different perspective. When something like this is put on your plate, you, you, you look at life differently, you know, and all that small, petty stuff, like, well, whatever. Um, so right. that has been a challenge later in my on recovery was, was walking through that. Um, yeah, can you yeah. say a little bit more about that as we're moving towards our end here, about this, like a clarifying process? I'm hearing that like the sweat lodge, you had to like let some shit go, right? Moving it to let yes. some shit go. Yes. From the cancer, you have to let some shit go. It sounds like a lot of your life, the message has been like, get Purge. clear. Yes. Purge. Yeah. Purge. Before I moved here to Florida, I had this huge yard sale with the mindset of, if it's not bringing me joy, it's got to go. Mm -hmm. Nothing's coming back in the house. And, and that's what I did because it was, was purging. I love purging. Get rid of it. What's what's? Why are you hanging on to this stuff that's just dragging you down? Mm -hmm. You know, 
and, and that message helps a lot of people. I, I, I don't suggest or tell anyone what they need to do because you know what? People already know what they need to do. They just need to do it, right? So when I'm, I'm not going to tell anyone to do anything I'm not going to do. I don't believe in lip service. If I'm not doing it, and stickler on that because it's what's the point, right? And um, I... For me, the purpose of life is a life with purpose. You know, find out what yours is. And part of mine is that how can I help people see that they can have a better life? That, that's it, you know, is let's start changing our mind and thinking differently. Change your thoughts and change your world. That's, that's one of my mottos. And I can't tell you how much joy it brings me knowing that I've helped someone come through the crap and toxicity and come out doing okay on the other side. You know, that's, that makes what I do worthwhile is helping others see the light. Yeah, you know? it's unbelievably inspiring, right? I mean, you get to be the person that you wish you had. Yeah. Right? And you get to be that person that walks through the darkness with people yeah. and helping yeah. them, yeah, like yeah. I said, see the light and, and, and deal with those moments of hopelessness because mm -hmm. we got them, right? Those moments of giving up, those moments of, wanting to kill yourself or OD or whatever it is. Right. It's really right. powerful to have someone like you to be there. And, and trust me, I've heard some, some stuff, For um, sure. but, um, it's a childhood trauma. Most people who are addiction in this world is from childhood trauma. It's, it's all around us. Mm -hmm. There's a stigma with addiction. There's a big stigma with mental health. And we damn sure don't want to talk about the childhood trauma. We're not going there, but that's the problem. That's the problem. Yeah, We're not talking all... about it. Yeah, so it just gets buried and people, you know, drug and drink. So, mm -hmm. you know, fortunately, we start to wrap up here, Terry. But yeah. can you let people know they want to learn more about you, if they want to learn more about your organization, where they might find you? Yeah, um, you can go on our webpage. It's wefaceittogether.org. And when you get on there, there's a little green button you can hit. Um, you, it, it lets you get in and you can fill out the information. Someone will get back with you on boarding and we try to place people we think is the best fit because all of our coaches have backgrounds. Maybe you'd be a better fit than others. And then we just start the, uh, the process of um, either uh, coming in person or doing Zoom meetings. Uh, we do calls as well. And we also have a data driven analysis that we use that shows that what we're doing is actually working. Uh, we have a people do this uh, recovery capital index covers all areas of your life, food, shelter, work, health, whatever. And, and we have them take this and answer it honestly. And we use that as a gauge for the first one. And then we do another one every 30 days and just watching it rise up. You know, that's beautiful. It shows that what we're doing is, is making a difference. We're not just saying we are, we, we are. Yeah. Uh, putting your money where your mouth is, right? You're actually changing out there, changing lives. Yes, and we all, yeah, we also work with loved ones as well. I want to mention that for people who have family members to understand why more. I think that's super helpful. Yeah, the mm -hmm. caregivers' loved ones are also kind of underserved. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, thank you so much for joining. If you're listening out there, really double underline this, like check out the website, check out Terry. It's so powerful to hear from somebody who's been there, right, that has like kind of that street-level knowledge that really knows the ins and outs of the emotions and knows about the survival strategies. It's it's really effective. So if you or someone else you know is struggling with addiction, definitely reach out and give them a call. So 
Terry, thanks so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Honored to hear your story. Yeah. Uh, for those listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. If you like this, share it. Give us a five-star review. Get out, to, get out the message to somebody who needs it. And we'll see you next week on another episode of From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same.